pray, and I'm going to speak to you from Psalm 23. And so if you have your Bibles, do turn them on or turn to them, according to what ilk you are. Okay, Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for this privilege of gathering together. Thank you for your presence and your grace upon us. Thank you, Lord, that we're here for a purpose to encounter you, to meet with you, to be strengthened, challenged, motivated by you. And so, Holy Spirit, I want to say, would you help me with this familiar psalm, that it's not so familiar we don't hear anything new. And would you help me to be clear, concise, and true to the passage, that you are glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 23. I bet some of you could sing it to me, couldn't you? I'm going to read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, David, as we know, was a shepherd boy. David, who wrote this psalm, he's a shepherd boy. He was a warrior. Uh, he fought some battles, uh, both by, his, by himself and indeed as king. And, of course, he was king. And what David is doing with this psalm is he's drawing from his experience. And he uses his experience predominantly as a shepherd to talk to us and describe to us who this Lord is. Now, we understand that shepherds in David's day are very different to the shepherds we see down the road. You see, a shepherd in David's day would lead from the front. He would walk ahead of his sheep, and his voice would be their distinctive call. They would recognize him by his voice, and so they would follow that voice. He would take them to pastures, but that, those pastures weren't just like the next field. This journey, in some places, uh, cases, could take weeks in order for the shepherd to get them to the pasture that he knew they needed and would feast from. Shepherds also were warriors. David said, as he was a shepherd, when he was a shepherd boy, he killed a lion and a bear. These were not cute guys we see. These were blokes, and I'm not sure they had women in those days, but they should have done. But these were, just to get it right, yeah. but these were blokes who you did not mess with, okay? These were guys you did not mess with. They carried a rod, which was a weapon. It was about a meter long. It, had a, it was a bit like a mace. It had an iron tip at the end of it. That would be how he killed the lion and the bear or anything, indeed, that attacked him. And he had a staff or a staff, I forget where I am. He had a staff, and this was five foot high, so it's about here, and it would have a hook on it. And actually, it'd also be for resting. He would lean on it, but it also had a purpose, which we'll come to in a minute. 
The point is the shepherds of David's era had no dogs, no drones above them, and no GPS traffic tracking on the sheep. It was just the shepherd, his rod, his staff, and his voice amidst all the dangers that would come their way. Interestingly, David's psalm, this shepherd psalm, is picked up later in the uh, history of Israel by prophets. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 23 and Ezekiel in his book, chapter 34, spoke and used David's psalm to further describe the relationship between God and Israel. There's some encouraging bits in it and actually some not encouraging bits. Ezekiel speaks of God shepherding his people himself as others had abused them, had wounded them. And because of this and God's passion and heart for his people, God promised he would send his own shepherd, a good shepherd. And this was in the DNA of the Israelites as they were waiting in this time. Remember from Malachi to Jesus, as several hundred years when God didn't speak, they were holding on to these promises from the Old Testament prophets. God will one day send not just a savior, but a shepherd, a shepherd who would lay down his life, a shepherd who would look after and care for and restore and heal God's people. Can you imagine if you were in Jerusalem on the day when Jesus arrives, and very shortly later, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We can read that verse, can't we, and think, oh, that's cute. But actually, when you put it in context of the Israelites desperately longing for, where is this shepherd? And Jesus arrives and announces, I am the good shepherd. You think, wow, Jesus was clearly saying, I am the one God sent. I'm here. And he goes on to say, now he's going to lay down his life for us. So as we look at this psalm, we are looking at Jesus. For he is that good shepherd who laid down his life for you and for I. So the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. This is a statement of trust. It's a declaration of David's utter confidence in the shepherd, Jesus. And it's a statement for you and I. It's not a cute phrase. It's a declaration. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. It's a statement of trust. For sheep were defenseless. If you've ever, I mean, with due respect, the only good thing about sheep is eating them, isn't it? Because they're, they're pretty hopeless creatures, aren't they? No, come on. They're smelly, they're dirty, they're defenseless, they've no weapons in themselves to, to ward off predators, uh, they've no skills really other than just running around fields and gathering in the same group, uh, and they're very easily frightened. And actually to say the Lord is my shepherd as a sheep, because that's how David's portraying it, is a statement of, boy, I'm such a wimp, frightened, fearful, but actually the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. There's nothing I like. Listen to this from a book. The Lord is my shepherd. 
among other things, means I have no police protection. In those open, trackless spaces, the traveller and his companions are alone. Thieves, wild, animal, uh, wild animals, snakes, sudden blinding dust storms, water shortages, loose rocks, furnace-like heat are all potential threats to any traveller. All of this was affirmed in the 12th century in the Armenian Orthodox tradition through the extensive commentary on the Psalms composed by Arch Archbishop Nurses. He wrote this, The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, I wandered in the midst of beasts, beasts, dogs, and bulls that surrounded me. Lions opened their mouths and wished to ravish me. I was terrified. And because of fear, I made treaty with the Saviour. Therefore, do not be afraid, O my soul, for he is my shepherd, and I shall want not. This is our Jesus. And David is saying, he's my shepherd. This is personal. I put my full and complete trust in him. Now, Jesus is who he is. But the point is, it's not until you and I choose to put our faith in him and our trust in him that actually he becomes my shepherd. You can look at this and say, well, he's a shepherd, but it's only when we personally choose to commit our lives to following Jesus does he become my shepherd. You can be a nice person, as I'm sure every one of you are, you can have gone through all kinds of religious ceremonies, all kinds of things that have happened to you by your parents and since. The truth is, they don't make him your shepherd. He's only your shepherd when you choose to submit to him and follow him. When you can declare, I lack nothing. And you can only do that because you know him personally. Secondly, we read that David says in verse 2 that actually he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I've said already that sheep are very easily frightened. doesn't take much. Just shout at them over the fence and you'll see them scatter. And sheep only lie down when they feel safe and when they've eaten. <laughs> like most of us as we get older, <laughs> we like a lie down. <laughs> but sheep particularly would only be relaxed and feel safe and lie when they've eaten in a safe place. What David is saying by this is his Lord, our Lord, provides and protects. You see, Jesus doesn't lead us to any old provision. The sheep need the best to feast on. And often green pasture was in short supply in David's time. It wasn't just knocking around. You had to walk many days, if not weeks, to find it. And what David's saying is Jesus takes him to green pastures, not some dry old grass somewhere, but green, fresh, the very, very best. Do you know, please don't ever think or believe that God is content to bring you some minuscule, some inferior provision to what he really would like to give you. It, it's crazy. 
In Matthew 7, we read that Jesus is talking about the father and he says, listen, you fathers know how to love your kids. How much more do you think the father in heaven will love you? I often find Christians actually struggle with this. And it, it, it's a weird concept. Some people will say to themselves, well, you know, I'm not really worthy. You know, green pasture is okay for Steve and Elaine. Bless them. They deserve the green pasture. For me, well, it's not really for me. I'll make do. Look, I'm not here next week. So can I just say that is rubbish? Utterly outrageous. It is not a joke. It's not trying to be humble. It's actually inverted pride. It's actually denying who Jesus is. Who are we to try and redefine Jesus when he defines himself by saying, hey, listen, I'm going to take you to good pasture. So I hope I have offended you if you have this weird concept. But it's not for us to say to Jesus, no, no, what you say isn't true. I will define you. I'm not worthy enough for the green pasture. Absolute rubbish. He's the shepherd, not you. You're just the sheep who follows. And his heart and desire is always to take us to the green pasture. Dear friends, if you've settled for a dull, boring, unadventurous Christian life, then the truth is you've wandered from the path the shepherd has for you. Or you've settled for a lot less than he wants to give you. You see, he leads you to the best, even if it, if it takes you sometimes to get there. As I've said earlier, sheep only lie down when they're safe. And it's because of the Lord's presence and his provision and our trust in him <clears throat> that we can find this peace and contentment in our journey with him. We've had the privilege in Taunton of having a lady come to us <clears throat> last year. She, uh, she was involved in some kind of crime and addiction and mixed with totally the wrong type of people. Uh, she's now in prison as a consequence of past offences, uh, and wonderfully the church have been reaching out to her. Just before she went to prison, just before her court case where we knew and she knew that she'd be going to prison, she's actually coming out in April, about seven months I think she's been in, she came and shared, and she said in her bruised face, and we, we've seen her, she's coming sometimes just wrecked because she's been beaten up by a boyfriend. Her dad won't talk to her. The kind of life that you just affects your heart. She stands up and she says words to this effect. She says, Jesus is the only man who has not abused me. And she's found him, and in finding him, she finds that peace and contentment that only he can bring. Listen, he wants the best for you. And it's his very nature to give you the best. It's not for us to try and be more holy by not wanting the best. We honor him by receiving the best he has for us. Thirdly, <clears throat> David goes on to, says, to say, <clears throat> excuse me, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path, path for his name's sake. One day I'm going to preach in a northern church and really be able to speak freely. Hey, up, chucks. 
<laughs> Bring it on. <clears throat> okay, so Jesus, as so David says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for, the, for his name's sake. What he's speaking of here is that the, the shepherd, in refreshing his soul, is actually keeping him on the right path. So he draws him back when he wanders. What David's describing here is the staff and how the shepherd uses it. He restores me is that he just nudges me and makes sure I'm on the right path. Sheep wander, don't they? Thanks, mate. They get distracted. They go astray. In fact, didn't Isaiah say, we like sheep have all gone astray? And Jesus knows that we chase after things that glitter. And we shouldn't. We get our priorities wrong. We forget who we are in Christ. We get caught up in some silly teaching and thoughts and go all wonky. David's saying he restores my soul. And David, of course, knew this for himself, didn't he? He suffered opposition from his family, from Saul. Saul tried to kill him. He slept with Bathsheba. Had a husband killed as a consequence. He had to flee Jerusalem as another one of his sons wanted to take his throne off him. But in all cases, after all of that, David could still say, he restored me. He brought me back. Now, sometimes he needed to repent to be brought back. But other times, God just brought him back when he went through a difficult time. But, you know, this encourages me because many of us have friends, family, loved ones who actually were walking well with Jesus. I mean, I've been in several churches and honestly, it grieves me when I think of the friends I meet several years later. And they just God's nowhere in their life. And it's just like, ah, we all have friends like this who do not walk with Jesus as they once did. But this verse tells me that if they were genuinely saved, and only God knows that, not me, nor you, if they were genuinely saved, then Jesus does not abandon them. He will restore them. He will bring them back to that place. He will draw them back. You see, why am I so confident on, about that? Because David says it's for his name's sake. You see, it's not my reputation that's at stake. It's not even theirs. It's Jesus' reputation. And he said elsewhere, I'm not going to lose one of you. So it's his reputation. And I reckon he's big enough and powerful enough to fulfill every promise he makes. So when he says that, he restores my soul. That applies to our loved ones. So friends, keep praying for them. God hasn't forgotten them. It doesn't matter how far you think they've fallen. It doesn't matter what rubbish they may have got into. Jesus says not one sheep will be lost. He says, I will leave the 99 and go and find that one. For his name's sake. For his reputation. Not yours, nor mine. That gives me confidence. So friends, keep praying. Don't give up. He rescues and restores, putting us back on this right path. David goes on, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
listen, let, let's be honest, you know this. Following Jesus will take you through tough times. <laughs> I'm always surprised when Christians seem surprised by that and kind of say, oh, the devil's having a go at me. Actually, he's not. You're not that important, to be honest. But it's what Jesus promises. He promises he will take us through tough times to mature us, to shape us, to deal with stuff we might never even be aware of. But he promises that he will take us through the dark valley. They are unavoidable and indeed necessary. Hey, but what an assurance. He's with us. He's with us through these dark valleys. And actually, we walk through them. There are no seats in them. There's no, like, bus stop. There's no, like, oh, I'm in a dark place. I can't get out. Actually, get up. You shouldn't be like that. You're going through it. And he is with you. And there's an exit even though you may not see it now, and most of us don't, because if we did, we'd probably rush onto it and then miss the lesson that Jesus wants to give us. But there's an exit. He leads us through these dark valleys. And these were dark valleys that David describes. It was dangerous being a shepherd. And he's assuring us that Jesus is always with us in these times. He's got his rod, his weapon to fight off predators. He's got his staff, a hook that gently will just nudge us to keep us on the right path and, and pull us back if we're wandering too far. Dark valleys are going to come, friends, and some of you may feel you're in them right now. But honestly, who would you choose to have with you? Friends, family, wisdom, power, wealth, health? Well, maybe that can help a little bit. But all of this is incomparable to the shepherd that walks alongside you through these valleys. For he holds all authority. This isn't just some, you know, fancy preacher that's telling you this. This is he who holds all authority. And with his mace, listen, the world trembles. I'm going to test your Christian knowledge here. Who of you have watched West Wing? That's why you're leading the church, brother. <laughs> the rest of you, here's your homework. Get into West Wing. That's blown my illustration, but I'm going to fumble through anyway. Okay. Trevor, I thought you'd have watched West Wing. I had you such a godly man. <laughs> Look, West Wing is, is a, is a nine-season part box set. The seven that Laurie and I have watched nine, ten times now. We love it. Uh, and it's all about the White House and it's about the president. And it's honestly, it's great. It's good, clean, well, one or two in the first season, but press through those. But other than that, it's uh, so moving. And it's got a, a kind of Christian ethos because the president's meant to be Catholic. But that's nothing to do with my point. <laughs> there's a scene, this is spoiler alert now. At the end of season one, there's a time when the president is shot. He doesn't die. Okay, he's shot. <laughs> Blown it. He, well, you know that because there's seven seasons. <laughs> he's shot, and they're rushing him to hospital, and they get him to hospital. It's very, very dramatic. And he has a sit room 
at the White House. And so all his chief of staff and all his generals and all the other top-notch politicians meet in the sit-room. And the president is undergoing surgery, which he may or may not come about. And the problem they've just had is they haven't got a vice president at that time. So the, constitutionally, no one's in charge, or it defaults to somebody, and they're not there. And they're sitting in this sit room. And this is the room where they, they can nuke the world if they want. They can take a nation out if they want. They have all the power Earth can put together. And one of the generals turns to the chief of staff and he says to him, listen, we've got enemies all around. We need to get a message out to our friends to warn our enemies. What shall we say? And the chief of staff, it's a brilliant moment. He turns to him and he says, tell them, do not mess with us tonight. And it's so moving. Listen, when you're in the dark valley, and you've got Jesus next to you. And he's got his rod and his staff. Do you know what he's saying? Don't mess with my child. Don't mess with my child. You see what I carry. You do not mess with a child of God. That's your Jesus. That's the one who walks through the valley with you. That's the one who comforts you through his rod and his staff. David goes on in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Tell me, have you ever felt downtrodden? Have you ever felt got at by others? Have you ever felt discouraged? Have you ever felt criticized because you're a Christian? Have you ever felt that some others look down on you. Maybe your family, extended family, friends at work, they just poo-poo you. And honestly, sometimes even in Christian circles, unfortunately, we're not great at the practice of grace. We're working on the theology. We're not that good. Have you ever felt that people look at you and think, who, you? You? God would love you? Are you being serious? Come on. Does God know what you're like? This is what David's referring to. And what he does, to emphasize his point, I don't know if you've noticed, you probably have, but he switches the whole illustration. Because I can assure you, sheep do not sit down at a table. I've never seen it. We sit at the table for the sheep. <laughs> but the sheep don't sit at a table. So David is changing the illustration to bring his point over. And what he does, he changes it, and he's in a culture of hospitality. In, G in Jesus' day, in David's day, the measure of the person was the extent of their hospitality. You didn't go out and buy a fancy car or the latest iPhone to show that you were rich. You, hos you hospitalized? No, that's not right. <laughs> you showed, yeah, you, enter thank you. you entertained lavishly, absolutely lavishly. And that was the measure of your generosity, that people would say, have you eaten at Stephen and Elaine's house? Have you eaten there? Wow! Are you taking note, uh, Abby, Jemima, Catherine? Have you eaten there? Wow! Every need was met. It was lavish. 
And that honors the host. So what David is doing is he's changing the picture so we can understand what he's getting to. Jesus prepares a table for you and I. And in doing so, he provides so much more than we need or can handle. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And in doing this, what David is saying to us is Jesus does not care what anyone else thinks of you. He will demonstrate his love for you time and time again. You stop worrying what others think of you. Because Jesus says, I'm going to prepare you a feast right in front of them. They are going to be open-mouthed and say, who you? And I'm going to say to them, yep, that's my child. Don't mess with them. Isn't that beautiful? You ever had family, you know, understandably not understanding what being a Christian's about? Like, you know, maybe they'd say to me, get a proper job. Although they never have, but I've heard stories like that. You ever had friends at work like, oh, you just need a crutch to lean on? Listen, Jesus is saying, before your enemies, before those who will pour scorn, before those who will try and put you down, he will lavish his love on you. He does not care what people think of you. There's a beautiful picture of this in Zacchaeus. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus, the little tax collector? He's, he's waiting to see Jesus come into the town and he's little and everyone hates him because he's robbing from them. The tax collectors did that. So no one makes room for him. So he has to climb up this tree, not only to see Jesus, but to stay away from the hostility of the crowd. And Jesus is walking through. And when Jesus gets to Zacchaeus, he says to him, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come and eat at your place. Now that was amazing. You see, the culture was, the, the elders of the village or town that Jesus had come to, like the local celebrity, they would have the honor and the task of deciding where this person would eat. And it was an honor to bestow on them. So if I said to you, hey, I've chosen your house for Jesus to live at, you would be so honored. But of course, I would have the control and influence and all that. When Jesus walks through and he sees Zacchaeus, and he said, I'm going to eat at your place, Zacchaeus. He just totally offended all the elders of that village. He offended their plans and the posh people that he'd, they had arranged that Jesus would eat at. He just basically said, I don't care. And did you notice that we, in that passage, if you do, the aggression that was once towards Zacchaeus is diverted to Jesus. And now they're criticizing Jesus. How can he eat with sinners? What happened is exactly this. Jesus walks into a place where there's somebody who others are pouring scorn on. They don't like. They criticize. And Jesus steps in the gap. And he says, I'm going to make you the most honored person in the town because I'm going to eat with you. And instead of them hating you, they're going to hate me. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel if you want to take it further. This is what he does to you and I. If you ever think, oh, everyone's criticizing me, everyone thinks I'm not worthy of this, everyone thinks I'm an idiot to be a Christian, or, you know, who are you to, that God would anoint you to bring a prophetic word? Who are you that God would use you to save somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Hey, listen, Jesus says, hey, come on, let's go and sit down. 
I'm going to give you such a meal before all these critics. They're going to be gobsmacked because I love you. And he's going to do that all through your life. Isn't that great? Verse 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When the sheep set out, the shepherd leads. They don't know where they're going. But when they're coming home, the shepherd's behind because they do know their way home. You ever taken a cat and taken it for a drive and thrown it out the car? It's amazing how they find their way home. <laughs> Just checking, that's all. Similar kind of picture. <laughs> but when the sheep are coming home, the shepherd, I don't know why I do that, it throws me off. When the sheep are coming home, the shepherd is behind them. This is what David's saying. What is he saying? I've totally forgot. Oh, yeah, okay. So the shepherd is behind the sheep because the sheep know the way home. There's an assurance we have, dear friends, that I will sit at the banqueting table at the end of time or when Jesus calls me. That place is reserved. I don't care what you do to me, think of me, say of me, whatever. But I'm going to be there. Let's <laughs> get used to it with my northern humor. <laughs> but what an assurance we have. An eternity with Jesus and my getting there is utterly guaranteed. And along this way, I have the promise that his goodness, his mercy, his love will follow me all my days. It's this goodness that keeps us on the right path. His, it's his goodness that helps us say no to sin. It's his goodness that helps us order our priority. His goodness, you maybe could see it as the Holy Spirit's voice in us that's saying, whoa, Jeff, don't do that. Whoa, don't say that. Whoa, don't go there. That's his goodness because he sets a standard for us and he directs us and leads us and nudges us along that path. So he's going to get me there. It's his very nature of kindness, gentleness, and holiness that surrounds us on this journey. And his love is never missing, never deserved, never earned, and never short. But it's with me all the time. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.1, He who began a work in you may, may get you to the end. Did he? Of course not. He said, we'll carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, which for some of us, now I'm 60, you know, getting sooner, that may be before he returns. But hey, either way, I'm going to get there. Becoming a Christian begins a journey, a relationship, a journey that will take us into good pasture and through some dark valleys where predators lurk to pounce, where others will be around us to throw scorn on us. But friends, we have a shepherd, a shepherd who will lead us, a shepherd who will guide us, a shepherd who provides and protects us, a shepherd who rescues and restores us and walks through our dark days with us. Never will his love 
be missing. There's not a day when his love will not be utterly for us. His presence helps me stay upright. His voice, a reassuring comfort. And his light to guide and direct me. He has a rod that is so powerful. No one best mess with us. And a staff so gentle that none of us can fall beyond his reach. What he brings to us along this journey is beyond measure. And he does not care one dot what others think of you or him. It's an amazing journey. And it should be an exciting adventure, a joy and a privilege. And for some of us, it may not have as long left as others. But friends, we're all going to get there. He's promised. His name's sake. A place we'll call home. For we're just passing through this, really, aren't we? We're just on a journey to green pastures, but the real green pasture is ahead. A place where pain has no place, where suffering has been silenced and temptation terminated. Listen, whatever you face today, if you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you can say, he is my shepherd, Lift your heads. Lift your heads. Yeah, I know sickness is a pain. I know life can be difficult. I know, etc., etc. But hey, lift our heads. We're on a journey with the shepherd. And he's leading us home. And he's behind us. He's with us. And none dare mess with us. The Lord is my shepherd. I appeal to you, if he's not yours, make him so. You're missing out so much. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, you're amazing. Our simple words cannot describe you. We can't describe how you make us feel. It's so hard. But we know you're with us. We know you love us. We know you protect and provide and guide us. Lord, I want to pray especially for all brothers, sisters, family, loved ones, parents, friends whom we've seen walk in churches but are not walk, walking with you. Lord, for your name's sake, I pray, bring them back on the path that they walk well with you. But we love you, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege of this journey, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.